We'll all be boozing in this pod. We'll all be drunken profanity. We'll all be f bombs. That's all sh. You'll have to wait and see. iPod Media introduces the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour. Half an hour of the most profane, gin-soaked nostalgia you'll find. Which episode will you play on your next family day out? The Peggy Mount Calamity Hour. Now with getting names wrong and forgetting stuff on mic as well. On this week's program. And my big red shoes go Nicky Nacky Knock. Nicky Nacky Knock. Let me bring something up here. This is very controversial. Mm -hmm. Can you see a dice? Yes. Excuse me, how? I thought you had the helmet on. Because you can see what's (laughs) what's at your feet. (laughs) Cheating. You get this little Scottish kid going, Miter up, tighter down, tighter down. Tighter down. There 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 are children watching Gavin Gillespie. A neighbour made his cup of tea for him, and then he caught fire. Uh-huh. The fuck? I watched this on the toilet in the hopes that me being closer to the water would make us less likely to catch fire. Let, let's, <laughs> let's just say that that turned out to have been a very good idea. Alright, hello and welcome to the final episode of this series of the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour. I'm Dr Velvet. I am Blackout. And we're also joined this week by... Are you waiting for me? Yes. (laughs) By me, Ozzy Bognops. Here he is. Uh Wonderful. Gentlemen. And yes, Ozzy's here because we couldn't write in the doorbell sketch again because we didn't really have time. Although by me explaining this, we've now made up the time that we said we didn't have. Anyway, here we are. Yes, hello you. Thanks for joining us one more time for our casual cultural critique of vintage television, where Britain's best love battle axe is never far from our minds, because here, all roads lead to the mountain. If you head over to PeggyMountPod.com, info and links for the episodes we're discussing is in the show notes there. You can find us on the socials, get in touch to say hello, or suggest programmes you'd like us to cover in the next series. Before we stand all clueless in a room with buckets on our heads while someone else has all the fun, I've got to ask, what are you two drinking? Well, I have a very nice bottle of Val de Maipo Chilean Cabernet uh, about my person, and that is getting uncorked! Nice. I hope it's worth the effort. Trust me. Chilean wine is always worth the effort. Especially in a pint glass. And what's the doctor having? I'm sticking to a summer theme, as I did last week. I'm still feeling a bit summery. And, uh, yes, Pims. Pims. Gone for Pims. Mm, Okay. But it's infused with gin and vodka and Midori and real fresh mint... With strawberries. Ken, can you book the cleaner for a double shift later? And make sure he brings the parsley. This is going to be lovely, this. Oh, and a bit of ginger. There's a bit of ginger in there as well. Good Lord. uh, Yeah, all good. But, Doctor, have you got the traditional half an allotment in the glass and all? I didn't want to soil it. (laughs) Blackout, what about your good self, sir? I am on the... Weston's 7.3% Vintage Cloudy Cider. I I don't know if I've mentioned this, uh, but I fucking love apples, mate. Really? Oh, fuck yes. Always have. 
When I'm not here in the studio, you can usually find me looking at pictures of the Big Apple or petitioning Network to release a DVD set of the 1983 Leslie Ash sitcom, The Happy Apple, while necking a jug of scrumpy and listening to a cover version of Apple of My Eye, performed by Fiona Apple, which was released as a limited cider pressing on Apple Records. I just wish the fruit itself was easier to come by. I know, right? They're now impossible to get. <sighs> I mean, if only. If you ask me, it's a complete nightmare. Nightmare was the medieval quest game show created by Tim Child for Anglia Television, which aired on Children's ITV from 1987 to 1994. Blending a choose-your-own-adventure style of gameplay with pseudo-virtual reality technology, a team of four young players are split into one dungeoneer, blinded to their immediate surroundings by the Helmet of Justice, and three guides who remotely instruct their charge through an escalating series of puzzles, obstacles and challenges. We've watched the first episode of Series 3, broadcast on Friday the 8th of September 1989, going out at 4.45, where a new band of adventurers are advised and overseen, as always, by Dungeon Master Treyguard of Dun's Helm who is often as cryptic as he is helpful. I don't think, I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong, that I'm alone in thinking that this was a revelation and mint when it first came out. That theme tune is up there with Thundercats. Superb stuff. And the irony is it was written by the man that wrote the theme to Blockbusters and just about every other TV theme that was on at the time, Ed Welsh, which is because I wouldn't have put him as somebody writing something that epic, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it's good. Fits fits the words. But the opening rhyme, the pre-titles uh, couplets, I mean, you mm-hmm. already know at that point that ITV are investing money in a way the Beeb repertory theatre of the time didn't. I mean, poetry, you know, poetry... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. On the yeah. BBC, it will be Byron going, I tell you what, mind, the firelight flickers, shows your knickers. And that was it, basically, for an hour and a half. <laughs> there you go. Yes. We're, yes. Three, we're three series in now, so the format's polished. Uh-huh. And Hugo Meyer is having the best fucking time as Trigger. Yeah, for he's sure. having yeah. a ball. He really is. And you know what? Known as well, he's become a bit of a legend. This is one of the few shows around that acknowledged the existence of gaming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Wow, how to capture an audience. Somebody really did have the foresight here. Well, we know who it was. Child was just in his element here. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's commitment. I mean, you know, he's designed the show, he's the producer, and he's the assistant floor manager. He's everywhere. Yeah, He's cleaning uh... the shithouse and all, doing the fag break. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was like a casual Warhammer kid by this point, so I was thoroughly enjoying this. But, I mean, the thing is, the, the only thing that stands in the way is the kids... You know, any sort of competition for kids in the 80s, and I hate to be so derogatory to use the term kids, but you do know that the kids they pick have not seen fucking daylight for a long time. No, they have not. That's fine. That's what you want from this show, though. Yeah, but you want them to be able to be a tiny little bit less reticent. I'd like them to use kind of words. There is only one thing I'm quite concerned about at this early stage of this episode, which is, didn't Mm. British home stores do well kitting the kids out? How many pastels? I'll stop you there. Go on. Uh-huh. I'll uh-huh. stop you there. Uh-huh. I, I'm not even sure it was British Home Stores because Treyguard says, Welcome. You've travelled a strange journey to get here. No, you've come via Burton's. <laughs> they say you say Burton's. I, I was, for me, it was either BHS or C&A. 
because what, you know, well, it, it could, what yeah. could be more late 80s than a lemon yellow polo shirt and ash grey chinos indeed I no. don't know if they're I don't know if they're chinos I just think they're beige stay press we can't, we can't see the kids shoes but I'm willing to bet that they're leatherette slip-ons because this entire team is from Scotland north of the border this is yeah. like sending yep. Francis Begbie into Dungeons and Dragons Gavin Gillespie is <laughs> fucking nails he's joined indeed. by Tom Craig and Brian if it all kicks off we'll be absolutely fine they'll be smashing glasses over the bar and just going into it Gavin's three mates are fucking furious that they haven't been picked as the adventurer. Yep. There's, there's been a falling out here. There's been a falling even, out. Even though the one who is the adventurer has absolutely Gavin. the fucking least... Not in any, any line-up in this. That's just like oh, yeah. standing in a blue studio with a big hat on. That's and your say, job. Where am he I? He gets to do notes. It's the ones who are, like, actually guiding him. They, they're the ones having the fun here, surely. And Tom, Brian and Craig, Tom, Brian and Craig, let's face it, a masterpiece of the uh, the hairdresser's art here. I mean, the flick, the buzz cut and the ball cut and yes. quite yes. a lot of st- 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 studio line gel. Other gels are available, of course. That's right. That's right. And you know that Craig, who was the one with the flick and the mauve T-shirt, he was the most fucking nails of the lot. No doubt. Oh. He, he was going on here, I'm going to be on the television, and I come from Uddingston near Glasgow, because people go, Uddingston? Where the fuck's that? Is that near Mars? <laughs> yeah. To be fair, he'd have to be Nails wearing a mauve T-shirt in Glasgow. Let's face well, facts. It's a bit illusion-shattering for the kids, of course. They know what they let themselves in for, but the one who is the ad- adventurer is essentially given a crash course in working with CSO. <laughs> And did I read somewhere that that, that the, all the rooms were kind of hand drawn by a graphic artist because they're bloody brilliant? Well, yes. I mean, we start the game off. Let's face it. You know, the, the adventurer goes on his quest and he starts. Where am I? I'll tell you where you are, son. You're in Anglia Studios in Norwich, <laughs> in front of shit graphics. <laughs> all right. <laughs> but the thing is, before he gets there, step boldly forward. Right. But mind the camera. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. How Absolutely. big is the blue room that they put them into? It's kind of got to be big enough to work for the set, right? Obviously, they get like it's a the mark on the size of the Gateshead Metro Centre. Because otherwise, <laughs> yeah, they're just like going, take three steps forward. The kid never goes two and then smacks into a wall because they're like, <laughs> shit, we didn't realise that was, that was the set he was on. Let me bring something up here. This is very controversial. Mm-hmm. Can you see a dice? Yes. Excuse me, how? I thought you had the helmet on. Because you can see what's uh, what's at your feet, but you can't see what's cheating. in front of you. So cheating. yeah, it could be. The whole thing, the whole thing is a sham. Cheating, cheating, foreman. I sat there and I thought I've been deceived my entire life. Nah. <laughs> Listen, my cynicism aside, can I just say that visually for 1989, this is not bad at all. No, absolutely. This. Bear in mind, this time I'm still playing away on my Amstrad CPC 464. This level of immersive yeah. computer gaming was fucking yep. thrilling to me. Yep. Apart Absolutely. from the snake on a stick, maybe. Oh, <laughs> yes. thank you, because yeah. I've got that here. We've got this snacker, which is which is potentially fucking mortifying, or at least it would be if it moved. Yes. <laughs> it, but it was it, when it rose out of the thing, terrifying <laughs> our shit. And I thought, oh, I, I, I don't want to be in the chamber like him. I hope they don't tell him to... Move three steps to the right. I hope they don't ask him to do that because he'll fall into the pit. 
car. <laughs> no, no. And the it was snake all fine. It was, was fine. called Car. Bloody good job, Kipling's out of copyright. Hey, hey. Well, well, there we go. <laughs> right. Damn sure. Damn sure. He dear. And then we move on and we move on. Frolic and laughter, fun and flit. What is the name of foolish wit? Yeah. The apple of your eye. What? So is this essentially three, two, one for the Amstrad PC generation? Would anybody like an apple? Just while that was mentioned, you know how sometimes this is the, I've, that can I've got this kind as well. Yeah, they, they, men- anybody... they mention apples in this. That just makes me want one, like even more. But... Yeah, yeah, the apple. Yeah, I was, think- I was just thinking about that. Does anybody want one now? Or... Do you know what? That would be quite nice. An apple. An apple. An apple. I'm alright for now, but let's let's come back to that. He asks them a series of riddles in a scene which goes on for far too long because he's like, "I've got three riddles." Yeah, and the production manager's going, "Well, that's good because this is a twenty-five minute program, so that's where the money's going." Fine. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, and of course, he gets to the classic one of stalactites and stalagmites. Oh yes. Which ones are? Which <laughs> Here ones we are? Go. And then they go. I'm glad we've all got notes on this. You yes. get this little Scottish kid going, "Mites are up, tights are down, tights are down." Yes. Tights are down. There are children watching Filth. Gavin Gillespie. Ban this film. <laughs> School assembly the next day, the headmaster's there just going, Tights are down! Tights are down! And just pointing at Gavin Gillespie. Indeed. To be fair, that's waiting to be on some nightmare merch on a t shirt. It is, isn't Tights it? Tights are down. It Tights are down. It, it's there. It, it, it's, yeah. Even in the Dungeons of Eternity, time is at an absolute premium as Treyguard keeps leaning and going, Maybe hurry the fuck up instead of standing around <laughs> yes, looking at the portion prop because we've got an audience to keep engaged here. I know, I know, I know you're enjoying the scenery. No fucker else is. I don't know how they're enjoying the scenery, especially those in the studio, because the resolution on that monitor that the team are using is bullshit. This is the era of the FST, the flatter, squarer <laughs> tube. Absolutely. Crack on, Anglia. Spoilers Mind. here, but Gavin Gillespie dies in the game when he takes a single step into virtual quicksand that he couldn't see, and that even his teammates struggled to make out on the 14-inch television that they only had as their yeah. reference, which was five foot away in a brightly lit TV studio. Exactly. <laughs> after <laughs> after Treyguard is rushing them through every previous scene, this game is rigged what? as absolute fuck. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, we're going to let the Scots people go back to Scotland, because, well, obviously. <laughs> there's, not a, there's not a prize, there's not a one here, there's not a thing. No, of course not. They've been on the what, telly. What, what do like they want? Their checkbook and pen, not going to happen. <laughs> I'd be absolutely furious. Bendy Treyguard, not going to happen. You know, All they've got yeah. is, to, to, to show for their experiences, 25 minutes on the telly in a studio where the gain is right up on the mic. It is. Yeah. And it is. people are whispering, whispering, whispering Indeed. on, and it gets on me nerves. We are back in adventure game territory. Yes. I was That's just where we are here. I've got the same note, exactly the same Those note. four kids get to leave with the safe knowledge that they have invented hashtag tighter down. Indeed. indeed. Hashtag tighter down, and they can't lead a mate down a path. Uh-huh. That's right. Anyway. So you wait till they're 18 and they're trying to get home after their first shit face session. Cross. Right. No, no, no. Take, take a step to your left. Oh, no, that's the motorway. Sorry. <laughs> Gavin, you drank too much and your tights are down. <laughs> Where am I? I don't fucking know. And I don't fucking care yeah, either. Exactly. It's yeah, it really is. But Gavin goes. Gavin goes Indeed. and enter. Brace yourself, oh. everybody, because it's Cliff De Nails. Here's Cliff De Nails. Here's Cliff. Pastel t-shirt, white slacks, dentistry with pliers. I thank you. Uh-huh. 
can I just point out that this man is Gavin in three years' time? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He looks exactly like him. And by the way, who the fuck was called Cliff in the 80s? I know, I know. <laughs> and now we come to the lads from Felixstowe. They all think they're better than this. Yes, yes they do. Yeah, indeed. They're they, older and more confident and by the look on their faces. They come off. They are buzzing to be in the show and they have clearly had... One too many top deck shandies in Norwich Town Centre before walking in those studio doors, I'm telling you now. I reckon only one of them has ever done any kind of role-playing before. And they all come off like a third-place boy band on Opportunity Knocks. They're just like, are we on telly now? Is this it? What what do we have to do? We're we're sitting watching the telly. Right. Ah, And the balloon slowly deflates. And I love how, again... Traeguard is impatient as absolute yes. fuck here. They land in the first room. Now, because the first lot of lads were, like, killed halfway through, it's very rare that we get two lots of starters in one episode. Yep. And Traeguard's just like, yep. throw the dice, man. Have you never played a single fucking game before in your uneventful life? Do you think that's a fucking ornament? Throw the dice! <laughs> and mop the jester? Come on. Oh, Tights it down, the helmet of justice, <laughs> mop the jester... Give us a bloody yeah. break here. Yeah. Paul Valentine comes sauntering on, thinking that this is the Motley the Jester show. Trigger's not, not only the Motley yet. the Jester show, but the Motley the Jester show produced by Christopher Pilkington on the BBC. The only thing we didn't have was Dobbin the fucking rent-a-ghost horse at this point. We get away from that. He wanders down the corridor. That corridor goes on forever. Uh-huh. I will say, though, it, th- those two characters following him, how creepy were they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good God! And Traegar's like, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, otherwise you're going to get knacked off something behind you. Hurry up, because Alistair Stewart is sitting tapping the desk with a pen going, I'd like to read the fucking news if it's all the same to you. Uh-huh. Baka baka ba ba 5.45, aye, how are And yet, every single fucking week, it always used to boil my piss that no matter how much he was trying to hurry them, they just mm-hmm. pause it in the middle of a scene with almost no notice. Yes. And then Traegar just appears in a bubble at the top, sort of left-hand corner, going, I told them to fucking hurry up, don't look at me. Exactly. They yeah. might be on a different <laughs> scene if they'd listen to me, mate. Uh, anyway, yeah. see you next week. Yep. <laughs> Bless him. Indeed. And that was Nightmare? Indeed. Mr. Bognops. Yes. How many pegs are you going to place upon your helmet of justice? Spellcasting. P-E-G-S. Pegs. Trigard's uh-huh. trickeries in overdrive. His mirth is strong, but my pegs are five. <sighs> Hush. It's a great concept, and putting myself in those times, it seemed like the next step, the future of kids' telegame shows. But that said, it's still the same at the end of the decade as it was at the beginning. Nervous, timid kids in a whole different world of telly and technology, and the detail was clearly of appeal, but it needed a longer time slot to develop it, I think. Okay, okay. What about yourself, Dr. Velvet? Spellcasting. (laughs) M-O-U-N-T. An interactive adventurer's heaven. It's not quite perfect. Of pegs, I have seven. Splendid. Okay, bear, bear. Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, this was this program, as I mentioned earlier, there was nothing like it around. And this ticked many boxes for many youths like myself who just needed to see needed to see gaming on the telly. We needed to see something like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Blackout. Spellcasting. P-E-G-G-Y. In dungeons deep as darkest mine, the pegs are cast, their number nine. Wow. Oh, yeah. Fuck yeah. There you are. Despite always needing to be an hour and a half longer, Nightmare is everything that the 1980s promised it would be. Outstanding stuff. So, pegs are clipped upon the line. You thought there was a rhyme coming there, but there isn't. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> time <laughs> see uh, time now to see how many steps around the dungeon it's gonna take blackout yeah no more rhymes here I could do it in three Nightmare contestants are guided by Hugo Myers, who first cropped up in the Fire episode of Park Ranger next to Richard Gibson, who played Hair Flick and Allo Allo, of course, opposite Jack Higg, who was in the very first episode of the Frankie Howard show with Peggy Mount. It's Sunday. We always go to church on Sunday. Fantastic. Good work. Great Lovely. work. Great work. What about Lovely. yourself, Dr. Velvet? Well, I can do it also in three. This episode of Nightmare features Zoe Loftin, who starred in Theatre Boxes, You Must Believe All This, next to Patrick Malahide, who graced our screens in The Singing Detective, as did Janet Suzman, who appeared in 1978's Golden Gala with... Pegasus Mountus. Oh, never mind. I'm late already. I'll end up with a lumpy hat. Splendid work. Splendiferous. Excellent. Oh, it is indeed. And yourself, Mr. Bognopes. Well, for me, it's a two. <laughs> this foray into the Nightmare Dungeons chances upon Natasha Pope who appeared in a 1992 instalment of Inspector Morse, headed up by John Thorne, who only one year earlier had wielded his truncheon in the Fat Chance episode with... Peggy Mount. Not now, sissy. I haven't got the strength. Fantastic. Brilliant. 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 Love it. Right, something else that I consider a nightmare. Shopping. Except when I'm buying these things. Get the maximum out of life. Get the max. Get the maximum. Be your best. Get the max. Get the maximum done. Get the max. Get the fun. Maxwell House is the way to the taste of today. Get the maximum. You know how. Get the max. Get the Maxwell House. Share it out. Get the max. Get the maximum taste. The taste, get the max. We test and check our iris on for 10 years. Normal used to run last year. We built a million iris on and on and on and on and on. 300 servicing persons, mega strong construction. There are five million going strong. Iris on and on. 
has to go to school. We teach them all there is to know each little golden rule. Our fitness have to be first class. Only the best will do. When they pass the flying colours, they're official boys in blue. So drive on down a quick fit. We're waiting just for you. Every product's guaranteed. You'll love their prices too. You can't get better than a quick fit fitter. You can't get better than a quick fit fitter. You can't get better than a quick fit fitter. We're the boys to trust. And there we are. Buy the things. The lovely things. They're Buy them things. I'm going to miss the things. I'm going to miss the things because this is, with this being the last show of the season, mm-hmm. I'm going to miss the things. But think there'll be more things hoarding, waiting for your work and waiting for your purchasing very soon. I'm going to be spending time enjoying the things that I've bought. There's the facts again. Blackout. Every time we just get, <laughs> do you know? It's almost as if. It's like it's people o- it's know. It's almost as if someone knows, isn't it? It's, <laughs> Oh, no, look out. Here we go. I'm surprised this took us long. Hmm. Tired of overpaying for apples? Get a modern, up-to-the-minute apple dispenser for your office or canteen with not to pay up front and free rental for three months. Six dedicated slots will let your employees choose from our range of nine different apples with wholesale prices starting at just 99 pence each. Earn pound, pound, pounds each month while keeping team members happy and medical physicians away from your premises. For more information, fax back 0898 909. Nope. That's a junk fax. Obviously a scam. Nine nine different types of apples. What a fucking joke. At least make it sound realistic. 99 pence for an apple. I mean, give us a break. Where were we? You know, just coming out of the ad break has reminded me of something. When I was walking down the street the other day, um, and outside of this shop was a, was a line of people, and at the front was the star of that very very popular eighties film, Gregory's Girl. And I just looked, and it, it all just came to us. And I thought, Q E D, nah. QED was the overarching brand for a long-running series of science documentaries from the BBC, which ran from 1982 to 1999. Covering a range of topics as broad as popular culture and current affairs themselves, these accessible half-hour snapshots educated, informed, and occasionally mortified. We've watched an episode from April 1989 entitled A Case of Spontaneous Human Combustion? in which one of the greatest theoretical perils of our era was given a thorough scientific going over. But not too thorough. We want to avoid creating any excess friction, you know? Now, you see, for me, QED was the mysterious world of Arthur Clarke all over again. <laughs> OK. Yeah. But, 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 this had more credibility. And no blue trousers. And no, he did not... Nobody on this had sky blue slacks, although the sartorial delights were of a similar level. Anyway... I think what it was with QED with me, right? This is what I thought about QED. This one in particular is spontaneous human combustion, which seems a little way out there. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. So because the BBC was showing this, there must be something in it. Yes. I can liken this to when a teacher at school would agree to discuss such a subject rather than dismiss it. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is the thing. It's fairly easy when you're a child to stay away from quicksand or pylons or the altar at Newby Church in Yorkshire. But how are you going to stop from catching on fire if it suddenly happens for no reason? 
Indeed. This Absolutely. shit was terrifying to me as a child. And yes, yes, yes when yes, the BBC yes, yes. make a documentary about it, that just validates the fears, even when there's a question mark in the title. But it is interesting Absolutely. that it's produced by David Filkin, who was the producer of Tomorrow's World at the time. So essentially, it is a bit like Tomorrow's World goes large. You know, uh-huh, it uh-huh. just feels like. Yeah. And then we decided yeah. to prove it by setting fire to a bloke and going, could you do this yourself? You know, it's not going to happen. Now, this programme opens with a case from January 1988, and it went out in April 1989. That's recent yes. enough to make it feel like an unfolding case, but far enough back yes. to make it seem like the programmes had time to have done a proper investigation. Well, the emergency uh-huh. services people all thought it was fucking crime watch, clearly, as I heard on the day when the thing, and I walked into the room, <laughs> and they've all got that voice, yeah. you know. Yeah. You, you hit on a very relevant point here. The fact that it was done the year before, that it happened the year before. It, this is not something that's happened in the 30s, and there's hearsay, no, exa- and there's no exa- evidence. Exa- exactly. This, we, can, oh, we can put science onto this. Last year. It's, it's recent. Yeah, yeah. Last yeah. year. Yeah, yeah. Mortifying. Now, Alfred Ashton. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. The case of Alfred yep. Ashton. Mind. This is. I mean, let's face it. As you correctly said, Blackout, this is a terrifying concept, and it, it, it is because it's practically inexplicable. But there's a terrifying right? concept before the terrifying concept, which is he can't make a cup of tea by himself. A neighbour made his cup of tea for him, and then he caught fire. Uh-huh. The fuck? I watched this on the toilet in the hopes that me being closer to the water would make us less likely to catch fire. Let, let's, <laughs> let's just say that that turned out to have been Boy, a very good idea. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Let me tell you, he sat on newspapers and they only went brown. It would have certainly been brown if I was going up in flames, uh-huh. mind, because I would have shaft. Indeed. It's, it's the, te- the telly melted, but frig all else did. That suburban house that they're in in Southampton, it's very much got the air of uh, the Enfield poltergeist about it. Yeah. Now, that's a case yes. which yeah, occurred yeah, yeah. between yes. 1977 and 79. So, again, it's still fresh right. in the minds of the audience for this type of thing. Right. They're treating it as a, you know, yeah. kind of like, oh, it's unknown, it's a bit... It, it's a bit sort of out there. Did this happen? Mate, we've got people from the fire service, we've got professors, we've got scientists. They're fucking telling you it happened. What more do you need? We've got a bloke from Gwent CID who has a spectacular jacket that would probably give you an electric shock even if you touched the desk he was leaning against. Yes. and he... It's not just about the jacket, can I point out. It's about the jacket and the white polo neck that accompanies it. Indeed, don't, and don't, the green don't. Austin Maxi. His, his name is John Hamer. He is. And he, yeah. he rocks is. up in cases, yes, with a navy blazer, a white polo neck and fawn slacks. He's like mm. an off-duty Roger Moore. Yes. The temperature certainly rises when he's in the room. Am I right, ladies? I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what it was, right, about this, about this particular episode that sent the similar elements of fear into me that I have with Arthur Clarke's mm-hmm. world. The use of certain phrases, for example this... As if the body burns from within. Yes. What what can be more terrifying than that concept? That 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 unexplained concept. Yep. Then the obligatory creepy musical chords. Yes. Which are played over a voiceover emitting clinical facts. I mean yeah. come on here. And Professor John Garrow, who was clearly an academic due to his tall hair, it's yes. a bit like I think it's like an Oxbridge Mohican. It is fucking I mean, crackers, he's isn't it? Like, I'm not tall enough. Make my hair tall, please. Does he style that with a blowtorch? He didn't. He didn't. I looked this up, and no, he'd walked into a, a barber shop and said, 
I'll have you know I wear a digital watch. <laughs> Would you please mind cutting my hair with spoons? <laughs> I love that Professor Garrow's entire shtick is, I've just told you, it can't happen. I'm a fucking professor. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. With a digital watch. Yeah. But then yes. again... His digital watch and hair make me want to have tea and jam tarts with him. But make sure that a neighbour makes it because then you'll catch fire. We also have Professor Roger Jennison talking about ball lightning. Yeah. Which is oh, another now. indiscriminate source of fucking terror for me as a child. Ball lightning can come in through your window and just hit you even when you're in the house. Right, so you as well then. So you as yes. well. Because yes. this, this this also was on Arthur Clarke's world about yes. lightning and ball lightning and I also was mortified about ball lightning. They just used to tell yep. us the ball lightning moves really slowly as well. Lightning, yep. you can't outrun that. That's yep. like, bang, straight down, you're dead, you don't know about Ball lightning, it'll just hover outside your window coming through the glass and just creep across yep. the room to you while you just stand there with your back against the wall screaming and pissing yourself in yep. fear. And it Correct. doesn't turn into the fucking credits from Bewitched either. It goes bang. Uh-huh. It goes bang. Blackout, I've known you for th- over 35 years and I never knew you were, you were also terrified of the ball lightning. Uh-huh. Not only that, Professor Roger Jennison tells us about it with relish. His oh, eyes he does. He yeah. widen, he fucking does. He fucking and he does. holds his hand like a quintessential <gasps> villain out of some kind of BBC melodrama <laughs> when he does. says the words, <laughs> cook slowly. Yes. Yeah. He's Fear of God, all he needed was a cape and dry ice. I'm telling yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and it gets worse because then you, of course, nothing lasts forever. Sense of fear doesn't last forever. Somebody's got to piss on the strawberries. And in this case, it's scene of crime officer Nigel Cruttenden, who appears to be played by Peter Kay. Yes. <laughs> and then it's a murder in the bakery. Oh, my God. Here what he is. next to the ovens? <laughs> Here he is. Ladies and gentlemen, he needs his own series. It's Mr. Dougal Drysdale. Sorry. Oh, Dr. 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 Dougal Drysdale. He he needs a spin-off where he goes around solving crimes that involve burning candles and fat. Yep. And the letter D. He's playing the opposite side of the fence to Professor Garrow by going, it totally can fucking happen, and I'm going to set some fat on fire to prove it. There, what does the University of Kent think about them fucking apples? (laughs) <laughs> but also, forensic scientist David Halliday, I mean, this guy clearly stuck the moustache on for a bet and it looks like it's made of pubes because it's actually lopsided. Oh, don't, mate. He's a man with all the and, sincerity and televisual affinity of someone playing a dishwasher engineer in a Calgon advert. But they've got white coats right. on. Why do they all look like they're advertising fucking Vortex bleach? <laughs> <laughs> we have skimmed past... I love that we're just fucking name-dropping here, left, right and centre... Roger Penny from Hampshire Fire Brigade. Oh, yes. Who, oh, Roger, yes. Who just drives around in full uniform in his car, just looking out for people bursting into flames. Yes. Indeed. A red car with a blue light on the top I mean, to be fair, fire down the side I've of it. To be fair, it's nice. no one in their right mind could accuse the programme makers of employing an actor for this part. No. Roger <laughs> Penny. true. Roger Penny is so wooden, he's a fucking fire hazard himself. Yes. Indeed. Yes. He is basically Tinder, and I don't mean the app. <laughs> Right? We'll swipe right on that one and we'll move on to <laughs> Stan Ames. It reminds me of Sidney Clute from Cagney and Lacey. Yeah, yeah. Look, right, look yeah, him up. Yeah. Right. Look him up. Look him up. Doctor, I think he ended up borrowing uh, David Halliday's moustache for his eyebrows. Yes, yes, quite possibly. <laughs> quite possibly. 
But what a fucking know-all. And you know where it's going. In typical Tomorrow's World fashion, there is a logical explanation. The guy had a heart attack next to a cooker. And the moral of this story is don't cook if you've got a heart problem. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. I love that Stan Ames, he doesn't get a doctor or a professor title. But, as you pointed out, Ozzy, he is wearing a bow tie. And he is. That makes got, him intelligent. He's got a computer program on a five and yep. a quarter inch floppy disk. This automatically gives Stan more authority than anyone yep. else in the program, apart from the fella setting off fires in a lab. His bow tie and body language suggest he's having absolutely none of the aforementioned facts and figures, and he can explain it all because he can wave a floppy disk. He has the That's power. right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, I had that point, actually, Doctor. I was thinking about, um, you know, I wonder if all of the people, all the contributors to this show, um, met in a field by a giant burning bale of hay and went, come on then, fucking explain that. <laughs> Let me let me tell you something here. What we're not what we're not told. I t- well, well, first of all, let me tell you this. They make reference in the, like the first third of the program to the fact that spontaneous human combustion was documented in Bleak House for the love of God. Yeah, from somebody from some old soak <laughs> whose internal organs were that saturated with alcohol. He went up, and I thought, Aye. steady on, velvet, and I put my white yeah. glass down. This is it. I'm thinking, are yeah. we saying now that Charles Dickens invented spontaneous human combustion? Is that where this I mean, started? Yeah. You see, Doctor, you put down your wine glass and I put down my beans on toast because they're also talking about methane. They are. Why, so, why do we not get a documentary called The Spirit of Christmas Yet to Come? Question mark. Oh. <laughs> they give us all their facts. They give us all the figures. Tell you what they don't tell us, though. What is the cause of ignition? They yep. tell us... All of what happened, they don't tell us how the person caught fire. Nobody explained that. All the other elements are explained rather beautifully. Fuel, oxygen, saturation. There's no ignition explained. Where's it come from? They do put in this like very quickly written conclusion that's basically, yeah, science says that couldn't happen. Ignore all the scientists we've just had on saying that it definitely did, though. Yeah. I mean, what would Arthur Clarke say if he came up against this? Because he did cover this in Arthur Clarke's world. Arthur Clarke would show you one of those photos and just go, that wasn't fire, that, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's, this running, it's this running thing every time they show you photos of this happening <laughs> where it's just people's legs from the knees down untouched by the fire. That's right. Which is absolutely fucking terrifying. In rather fetching CNA trousers, that's the it, other thing. That's the thing, it does not explain why only half of Alfred Ashton's trousers were flammable. The top half's gone, the bottom yeah. absolutely untouched. <laughs> exactly. Can we can we have a programme about what they're doing to the trousers? I think there's a lot to be said for certain types of slacks. That's what it's about. Is it asbestos slacks, is that it? I think it's because there were slacks. Well, asbestos slacks, but I reckon part of the reason is there's something to do with the shoes because, you know, if the guy couldn't make a cup of coffee, cup of tea because his neighbour made it for him, was it because he was still in his shoes? Because, uh, forgive me, but I don't sit down to watch the six o'clock news in my shoes. Philip Hayton can get fucked. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Philip, if you're listening. Why aren't you a forensic scientist? I, I've wondered this. I throw, I hide the bow tie out. Oh, OK. Ah, fair play, fair play. Spontaneous human combustion feels like an urban myth which could only have taken hold in an era of mass communication like the 1970s and 1980s, but that would fizzle out in the more cynical age of the internet, which is kind of ironic 
because a lot of people will believe almost fucking anything nowadays, and the technology yeah, yeah. definitely exists to make faked evidence like far more convincing. Yeah. If spontaneous human combustion was a thing, then it'd still be a thing now, and we'd hear far more about it, wouldn't we? I wonder whether there is actually an, uh, an international spontaneous human combustion forum that happens every year in the middle of the North Sea. <laughs> All being said about QED, I have utter admiration for this programme. There wasn't mm-hmm. a subject they'd shy away from at all. They were very informative. I, as a 16-year-old in 1989, looked forward to QED. But there's something to couple up with this, Doctor, which is that at the end of an evening's transmission at this point, they would normally show a public information film just before close down which would nearly always be, mind, didn't get burnt, then the national anthem, then bed. That's right. So if you weren't shitting yourself at 10 o'clock, you were absolutely incandescent with shit at about 25 to midnight. That's right. That's right. (laughs) If one indeed can be incandescent with shit, I would imagine it's possible. Maybe that's the the catalyst. Maybe that is the ignition. So how are we looking, ultimately, for pegs on the line, Aussie bug knobs? Well, for me... You're never going to believe this, but I am giving it a sound four pegs out of nine. Four? Four. The who's, series who, had some... No, you who, see... You hang said, on, hang go, on. Who's burnt his chips? What? <laughs> I burnt them myself by staring really hard at them. The hell's the matter with you? Four? Well, the, the series had some great episodes, but this one is like a typical bit of BBC 80s smuggery of the, see, I told you so, kind of myth-busting. You know, perhaps so people audience. didn't go to bed. Perhaps so people didn't go to bed that later that night shitting themselves that they might fall into a fire and burn slowly to death. You know, the irony being that chances are the public information film before the National Anthem, as I said, would probably advise them of such anyway. So for me, a too, too many smug dead ends. And I wonder if all the interviewees uh, are still sitting in that field next to the burning bale of hair with Philip Hayton and John Ketley and a burning telly. Mr Blackout. QED's a bit dull, but I think that's intended to give the programme a sheen of terrifying credibility, which for someone of my age in 1989, it would have. Seven out of nine. Okay, that's, that's a fair call. That's a fair call. What about um, you, Doctor? Well, I'm um, just really despite Bognops nine. Ah, <laughs> uh, another nine, another nine. Yeah, I found the peak viewing the imperialist age of your sitting in front of the television. He's by light, which time he's outside, and he's lighting nine pairs of flammable slacks. You can you can <laughs> clack it on all you like, Bognops, but you're wrong. It, you're wrong. Uh, so it's it's a it's 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 a highbrow Arthur Clarke. It, it is what it is. It, it, you're only saying that because you don't like Anna Massey. <laughs> anyway, all said and done, for the last time this series, Mr Blackout, how many steps is it going to take you to wander up the mountain while you're full of flames? Well, I'm going to set fire to four pegs. <laughs> narrator for this flammable outing is Anna Massey, who starred in 1981's adaptation of The Cherry Orchard with Harriet Walter, who led the Dorothy L. Sayers mysteries in the company of Edward Petherbridge, who starred in BBC Two's Play of the Week, True Patriot, next to Derek Folds, who was in 1966's Hotel Paradiso with Peggy Mount. Oh, 
mutter your other little hobbies. There you Beautifully go. constructed. Beautifully Absolutely. constructed. How about Mr. Bognops? Well, for me, it is uh, an inflagration consisting of three steps. Ooh. Yes, lending her regal tones to this incendiary excursion is Anna Massey, who appeared in 1973's A Doll's House next to Ralph Richardson, who was in Greystoke, The Legend of Tarzan, as was Nigel Davenport, who starred in Ladies Who Do with Peggy Mount. Yes, you'll sit on the eggs for him. Lovely. Lovely. Which only leaves the inimitable Dr. Velvet. Are you going to join us? I am, but I'm going to do it in two. Fucking show off. Because indeed, guiding our path through this combustible chronicle is Anna Massey, who appeared in the King Alfred episode of Churchill's People, alongside... Kevin Stoney, who played Gilberts in four episodes of John Brown's Body with... Thank you, Mom. That kettle took a long time to boil. Splendid, splendid job. Skillfully done. Absolutely. Do you know, right, gentlemen, know. you yes. might have made me reconsider my four pegs, but no. No, I'll say they're up now. <laughs> yeah, they're up there now. And they're, they're, and they're burning freely. They are burning freely. They really are like a wick. You know, it's it's. It, I can smell the fat. <laughs> Which I hope I'm not getting on yours. No, not at all. Not at all, Bogdops. We all. It's it's subjective. Um, but the only problem is here, you're wrong. So blackout. <laughs> <laughs> so blackout. I see that you are nearly done with your cider. And you look like you're ready to segue onto a lighter form of refreshment with perhaps more solidity to its nature. That's a thought. Would you like an apple? Have you got an apple? I've got an apple. I'd like an apple. I mean, I fucking love an apple, me. You know, when I'm not here in the studio, you can usually find I've me. I've got on. an apple right here. And it's got your name on it. I mean, not literally, but I've got a marker as well. So I could make that happen if you want. I would love that apple. Well, okay. Mind you, you're all the way on the other side of the desk, and you can't pass that over because of all the notes and the wires and the bottles that are in the way. I can't see how I'm going to get that apple while we're sat here. Never you mind that. Watch. What on earth is he doing? Is, is that a computer? Uh, on wheels? Add on, add on. Hey, hello, look at that. Good Lord. Tremendous, tremendous. What the actual fuck? It's all cut glass and coffee in the lounge here. I'm telling you now. Dear Lord. So this, gentlemen, is big track. Big oh, track? Oh, it's turning it. the corners on its own. No. Got what's it? Witchcraft. That is the beauty of big track. It's fucking outstanding. <laughs> Uh, yes. Get in. That is fucking amazing. Right. Enjoy. Um, this isn't an apple. It's a quince. A what? It's a quince. I fucking hate quinces. In fact, when I'm not here in the studio, you can usually find me burning copies of the 1998 movie Quince, 
writing hate mail to the actor James Quince and Quincy Jones and sending my own excrement to the entire surviving cast and crew of the TV show Quincy. It's apples that I love. Well, that's faintly disappointing. And what's more, Dr Velvet, you appear to have broken the terms and conditions of your big track agreement by using it to transport fruit other than an apple. I expect that'll get confiscated by the police shortly after we go off air. It's the law. Bollocks. Do you know, the man at the market told me this was an apple. Well, this proves that the 1980s were shit. And on that devastatingly understated moment, uh, this brings us to the end of this series of the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour. Yes, that wraps up another ten episodes for this time around. Thank you to Mr Ozzy Bognops. Thank you very much, gentlemen. It's been a pleasure and an honour, as always. Absolutely it has Pleasure is all ours. And uh, Blackout, I think for the final time this series, you might have our socials. Yes, thank you once again for being with us throughout this series. You can look us up on Twitter, at Peggy Mount Pod, and we're the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour on Facebook. You can email us at peggymountpod at gmail.com and don't forget to go to peggymountpod.com to check out the show notes and pictures and clips and links for this episode. It's as simple as that. It really is. Listener, thank you so much for dedicating a little bit of time each week to listen to us prattling on about the telly. We do appreciate it very much indeed. This might be the end of this series, but it isn't the end of the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour for this year. Just like last time, we're peppering the months from now until December with various specials. So keep an eye out on your download lists and your Twitters and all the rest of it for news of those. Until next we meet, remember... Keep burning! Peggy Mount Calamity Hour is a free podcast from iCall Media which holds production copyright. Opinions and recollections expressed are not to be taken as fact. The title and credit music is by Dr. Velvet. Audio segments from television programs are presented for review and informational purposes only under fair use, and no ownership of these is claimed or implied by this show. For more information, visit PeggyMountPod.com. And I recognised her and I couldn't work out why. She'd been in something, but it'll come back to me, I'm sure. A skip? It could be. A skip actually on fire made of debt. We've got a story of two halves here with that uh, in mind. Um, but then again, listen, when you think about the context of everything, let's just, let's just look at the scenario. You've got the Dungeon of Deceit, a man in a beard wearing studded leather. And the Helmet of Justice. Now, I don't know this, what production right, meeting right. that came from. Do you know what I'm saying? You know, they're sitting around the that table. That was a going, long lunch. Lads, I fucking got it. Oh, dear listener, I wish that you were going to be able to hear this bit. It's destined for the cutting room <laughs> floor. The thing that's missing now is Derek Griffiths to read it. Uh, oh, yeah. Absolutely. Or Derek Beatty. Der- oh, God bless. <laughs> God bless. Da, 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 da. Have you I ever seen yet? Dungeons and Dragons? <laughs> oh, my God. That is it. Uh huh. Dungeons and Dragons, Dungeons and Dragons, be nice to each other, to each other. It is, it is, it is. Spectacular work, Doctor. Spectacular work. There's your post credits right there.